Well, hello and welcome to Let Him Roar Again, the podcast dedicated to encouraging a revitalization of Shakespeare for the Australian context. I'm your host, Amy Perry, and joining us for this episode are members of the cast of Sport for Joe's current production of As You Like It, Emma Wright, Jade Feuder, and Shanri Tan. Emma Wright has written, performed in, and produced many pieces for both the stage and film. In 2018, she co-founded Eye Contact Theatre Company, and then in 2020, created Jumpstart Youth Theatre in Sydney, engaging young people with performance and theatre. Emma plays Rosalind in this production of As You Like It. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Glad to be here. You've written about the importance of storytelling and what theatre held for you as a young person finding her voice. Could you tell me about when you first encountered Shakespeare? Was it a lightning strike moment for you from right from the start? It absolutely was. I was, you know, something silly like five at the time, but I tagged along to uh, Big Sis's audition for the local amateur theatre company. Um, and I sort of barged my way into the room with a rendition of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and uh, got involved. And it was there that I was first introduced to Shakespeare. So I was very, very young. I remember, um, I have memories of the Scottish play from that age, mainly to do with, you know, out damned spot and lots of shaking of hands. Um, but that was when uh, I had my first introduction and it certainly uh, was something that I gravitated towards immediately. Um, and I started reading his plays very, very young um, and then coming back to them and obviously understanding them um, a lot better as I got older. Yeah, I don't know exactly what the attraction was at such a young age, but I just um, sort of fell in love with the language and the poetry. Um, boys loved words and he writes a lot of them and beautiful ones. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And Lady Macbeth is such a huge character um, to be introduced to as a young child. I imagine Absolutely. that's quite overwhelming in some ways too. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think that I fully understood uh, her character or her her journey, but there was, you know, something I guess I found fun about whatever I could grasp of it, whether it was just, you know, the physicalization and 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 that was something I, I ran with. But um, yeah, I think kids sort of understand more than we we often mm. think that they can. And um, so it was great that people weren't afraid to introduce me to that material in a safe environment. And, um, and yeah. Jade, let's introduce Hi. you now. Hi. Jade Feuder is an actor and director who's worked in theatre, film and theatre in education. She trained at the Stella Adler Art of Acting School in Los Angeles, but has a passion for seeing new Australian work performed on stage. Jade plays Celia and Phoebe in this production of As You Like It. Jade, what about you? Can you tell me when you first encountered Shakespeare? Um, I think two major moments come to mind for me. Uh, I always knew I wanted to perform, even though when I was very young, I didn't even know what that meant. It was just more of a, I would interrupt people having dinner at their dinner table and go, would you like me to perform for you? <laughs> and would just do that. Um, I remember when I got 
old enough, when I say old enough, I was probably like 10, um, to go acting. That's a job that I can do. That's something that I want to be and want to do. Going into a vintage bookshop, like a really old bookshop and went, well, Shakespeare, that's what I need. That's where I need to start. That's the base level. And I picked up Twelfth Night and I opened to the first page and the first line was, if music be the food of love, play on. And I think I was hooked from that moment. Uh, but funnily enough, the second moment for me, which was the more serious um, push into Shakespeare and everything else, was actually Sport for Jove. I was, gosh, it was like 12 years ago. I it was at the Everglades where we're performing As You Like It Now. And I was in the audience and it was a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. And I felt like I'd never truly seen theatre until that night. And it just so happened to be Shakespeare. And my love of Shakespeare, my love of theatre and everything I wanted to do started there. So it's a really big deal for me to be doing this now and at the Everglades because it feels like I've come a full circle. <laughs> I don't think you'd be alone in really discovering that love of it through a, shape, a Sport for Jove production. <laughs> I yeah. think lots would agree with you, yeah. Uh, Shenry. Shenry Tan Hi. is an actor and producer of theatre and film. He's just been nominated for a Sydney Theatre Award for Best Performance in a Leading Role in an Independent Production for Yellowface, and he'll be treading the boards at Ensemble Theatre in two new Australian plays in 2022, Nearer the Gods by David Williamson and the one by Vanessa Bates. Shenry plays Oliver and Silvius in this production of As You Like It. So, Shan, let's start with the same question. When did you first encounter Shakespeare? I think for me it was, it might have been a more sort of bookish introduction than I think a lot of uh, actors um, sort of encounter. I, I I always just credit the fact that uh, the high school where I went to, we were just blessed to have an excellent English and drama faculty. Um, and so it just started really in what, you know, like for almost everybody else, it's the same story. You, you come across Romeo and Juliet and Macbeth in year nine, year 10. Um, and I remember sort of the first uh, encounter I had with the language. As an adult, I would now describe it as a little bit like, oh, this is like language, but it's cask, cask strength. I don't know if, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. just I was... Uh, I was so taken by the fact that you could express the uh, the emotions and the human truths behind these behind the just the plot of the drama, but in such a, a powerful and concentrated and sort of moving way. Um, so I suppose the interest would have started then, as it sort of again, as, as, you know, in sort of mid to early teens. Um, but I think. Uh, Sort of really getting more into it uh, during HSC year. Um, I'm getting older, and I remember my HSC year being 1997. That was a year that I think that was the year that Kenneth Branagh's film adaptation of Hamlet came out. And of course, that was that's the you know that was on the syllabus. So we had a great sort of uh, uh, we had a we had a great year because we were all anticipating waiting for this movie to come out so that we could all go and watch it and see the full you know whatever four and a half hour version of this show was and then talk about it afterwards so I think that was pretty formative for me both in terms of my interest in Shakespeare and also in, in my interest in film adaptations of Shakespeare and what you could do differently from one production to another because at that time obviously they were using the um, 
they were using the uh, Mel Gibson version as uh, a text. And so being able to look at these two and, and say, okay, this is the same play, but it's completely different in its focus. It's completely different in its, in its effect. It's interested in completely different things and yet it's the same story. Um, so that for me, I suppose, started um, kind of my uh, interest in, okay, well, if this is the, if this, if this text has been around for 400 plus years and we're still finding new things about it and we're still exploring its meaning, then what else is possible? What else can you do with, what are the other plays you know, capable of or what different interpretations can they be susceptible to? Um, and then my, my experience as a performer was, it sort of came a little bit later, actually. The, only, the first time I was in the production of a Shakespeare was, I think it was a production of Lear in uh, uni. And that would have been my last year at uni. For whatever reason, the Shakespeare Society decided they want to put on a King Lear with a bunch of 21-year-olds. But, um, but that was a really, and that was, and that was also my first outdoor uh, theater experience as well, because we did it, we staged on campus and we moved the audience around. So in many ways, doing this show for Sport for Jove has been, <laughs> it's, it's sort of familiar and at the same time, it's a whole different new set of challenges. Yeah, we stage Shakespeare outdoor more regularly, I think, in the Australian climate, because we think that it's amenable to being outside. I, I don't know that that always happens the way we think it's going to happen. Um, Jason Blake recently uh, wrote a review for Limelight magazine, and he made reference to how hot it was on the night he saw the show. He said it was still 33 degrees at 10.30pm when you were finishing up. In a show that's quite lengthy and incorporates such strong moments of physical comedy and some speedy costume changes, Shenry, how do you sustain your energy through a production like that in the Australian summer? Well, with practice and focus and just, I mean, you have to look at the upsides to performing in the heat as well. We're warm. Um, and which which adds to vocally being warm as well. Um, we have to try a lot harder to be focused. A lot of our scenes in Arden, we're pretending it's winter and it's very cold and we're layered up with cloaks and jackets and we've got sweat running down everywhere. Um, you just have to block it out, I think, and take care of yourself. Like if we have to make adjustments to costume or anything, we have the freedom to do that so we don't collapse on stage. <laughs> That's an important piece, right? Yeah. Just to actually stay upright. Um, yeah, and, of course, you do more than stay upright in this production, um, yeah. even when you're running full pelt. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, look, to be honest, I don't know, because when adrenaline, adrenaline kicks in for anything you do, you can achieve amazing things. Um, you can ignore a lot of things like uh, Emma and myself we come out of a lot of shows with bruises on our legs and we go I don't know how <laughs> or when that happened because when you're so in the moment things like the heat or accidentally bumping a cart or something it really doesn't register the same way you're so in the moment you're so in the space and the weather adds to the show in different ways whether it's freezing cold or boiling hot it will turn the show into something else and yep. something glorious Sometimes that happens, both of those things happen in the same show, right? Yeah. <laughs> Start the show and you're like, 
oh, you know, it's 33 degrees. And then by after interval, you're like, oh, anybody got an extra, extra layer? Have you got a poncho? You're not, wearing, you're not using the next scene. We did, um, we did a rehearsal uh, at Bella Vista and it started raining at a point where I, it was a very emotional scene. It was the banishment scene. And I referenced to how the heavens now at our sorrows pale and it was raining and it and all of a sudden that line referred to the, the climate is reacting to the situation at hand so it all just adds a nice little energy electricity to the show yeah which Shakespeare often tried to write in you know that sense that weather was responding to what was happening for the characters how lovely to experience that in the moment um, mm -hmm. and to be so focused as an actor that that everything works for you somehow you make the weather um, part of your performance it's beautiful between making entrances in and around Morton Bay figs and the backing track of fruit bats the production feels quintessentially Australian why do you think that is the show isn't in your face Australian theatre it's not overtly referenced with the exception maybe of Audrey the Shepherdess being played as an Australian farmer which of course would have been a novelty 50 years ago but what is it that makes this production Australian and is that a product of conscious choices Emma I might throw to you look I think that the the location does a lot of that work for us, as you say, you know, the fact that we are surrounded by native trees, um, we've got, you know, the soundtrack of fruit bats, I think all of that is, is uh, just outdoor theatre working its magic, which of course Damo, uh, Damien Ryan, uh, our director, um, is, is fully aware of. I mean, I think it's impossible for that man to um, do anything, uh, you know, subconsciously. Everything is so considered. He's, he's a genius. It's, it's a tricky one. I mean, because obviously the play, and we've had many conversations about this, is, is set in France. Um, and, you know, there are in the court, we have a few little moments of a few French words being spoken. But I think we we equally don't shy away from the fact that, uh, of course, we are we are here in Australia. We are in quite iconic Australian venues. I mean, both Bella Vista and the Everglades um, are such you know gorgeous places, and and um, and you know attract a lot of um, tourists and and yeah. locals. But um yeah I don't know I mean I feel like maybe I'm not as equipped to answer the question as maybe Damien would I would love to hear what he would say about it but um I think yeah. I think one of the one of the interesting things a bit a lot again talking about the natural landscape and the for this show particularly something that is interesting is that we move and particularly this is a particular feature of the the Bella Vista show which is um I think the one you saw Amy because there is a, a, an actual shift that the audience takes from it. A cultivated uh, architectural sort of space from the farmhouse down to the, the Forest of Arden. And because of the sounds and the sights and the shapes are so alien when you come from sort of a world of straight lines and formality and rigour, and then you get down into the forest. And it, it I mean, remember when we first got into the space and we, we were running the show, um, it's great, and particularly because uh, you know at uh, sunset you get those fruit bats and you get all these strange noises from farm animals and things. It, it sort of conjures that that sense of displacement and enchantment. And a lot of us who are even you know city dwellers or even suburban dwellers, you don't really spend that much time sitting there and considering 
the natural landscape that is right next to us. So I think part of the Australianness of this show is kind of re-enchanting places that you uh, might not otherwise have sort of sat there for three hours and experienced. Um, so there's that. And I think, um, Jade, for, for you and I, one of the things that came along early in the uh, rehearsal process was that Damien was trying to solve this issue of uh, the, you know, Silvius and Phoebe in the text are, they're shepherds, well, they're, 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 yeah, that's what they do. They are, they are, uh, they have a profession in the context of, the, of Shakespeare's world that is a little hard to translate sort of into a meaningful contemporary analogue. And so one of the nice things about the, the show is that when we got to the Forest of Arden, you have this image of Silvius, instead of being a shepherd, literal shepherd, um, he's, the, he's the country village postman and he's getting around everywhere on his, on his bike with his little satchel. And Phoebe is the uh, local constable. <laughs> which was I think one of the one of the really enjoyable things for, yeah. for us yeah also I guess in that I sort of it sort of became quintessentially Australian as well because we conjured an image of a small Australian town at least for me Phoebe ended up being an, an Aussie cop and it was just I, I could have made any choices but I chose Australian cop because it was a familiar thing to me it was something that I could play from not from experience but from it's it's an experience Experience in my immediate world that I could go, I can draw from and play with and boost up. And yeah, the whole small town sense of it, I felt was very Australian. Yeah. Um, which now thinking about it, doing it in Lura, it's, it's very different, but it is, Lura is such a small community as well. It kind of fits into that vibe as well. Everyone knows everyone and their business. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's such a beautiful thing about some of our smaller Australian towns too, isn't it, that sense of knowing each other and recognising when we see that on stage as well. I think you're right in that there's quite a big shift to the Everglades. Shanree, you were talking about uh, the cultivated sense of those early scenes at the farmhouse in Bella Vista. Do you think that the Everglades also have that sense of cultivation about it? Um, and with this shift in location, what's it like to bump in and reblock a show so quickly? Do you think the show shifts as you shift location? Are there things that you discover as actors uh, or as, a, as an ensemble within the production that ultimately shifts with the shift in location? Well, you're talking to us uh, the morning after we've done our first show <laughs> in Lura. And I think I, everyone would say unequivocally, yes, there are things you discover. <laughs> so, uh, for me, it's constantly the, uh, being stuck on one side of the stage without bits of my costume that I need because I've realised that there's no way for me to get to the other side of the stage without crossing in front of the audience. But it, <laughs> but it is. Obviously, Emma and Jade, you've got your own experiences with your tracks in the show and how different things feel and, and the consequences that, that that delivers. But yeah, the space absolutely changes. Obviously, the blocking, the arrangement, entire scenes are, uh, look visually different and are arranged differently. But I think they also affect the subtext yeah. of what you're doing. Uh, for example, in Lura, we only play on the one stage uh, rather than the two stages that we have at Bella Vista. And... There's uh, definitely a different sort of shift that you need to think about when you're navigating those spaces, how you create the two different worlds on stage as actors um, for the audience so that there's, 
there's clarity when there needs to be clarity. And then there, there are moments where sort of artistically, it's nice to have those two worlds sort of juxtaposed against one another, um, for, which is not something we had available to us in Bella Vista. Um, so yeah, that's nice. There's a whole new spatial awareness of what goes on. Um, yeah. Oh, I think you said it. <laughs> Yeah. everything yeah. exactly what I was thinking yeah. um the performances do change the storytelling doesn't but in a way you hear things in ways you've never heard them before and the space just transforms yeah. that it's hard to explain mm. it's just the space does yeah. its own thing I think it's part Sorry. of that being alive as an actor too right because when you're starting in a new location you have to be so aware and so focused so all mm. of those elements you were talking about before Jade about needing to know where you are and being incredibly focused and not actually knowing what's going on beyond your performance at the time are almost heightened as you are in a new space um, yeah. and particularly for the first time and then navigating an audience within that too because you haven't got a huge rehearsal period between the two different productions I don't know if you'd call them different productions, but two different locations at any rate. Um, it kind of feels like a different production in a way. <laughs> I also something that just popped into my head too, Lura Everglades, you can't really see the audience the mm. same way, whereas mm. Bella Vista, you, they're, they're right there, you know, particularly in Arden, they're right in front of your face. You can get COVID safely up and get real. <laughs> um, whereas the way, because we're up on the stage, the lights are all shining on us and it's just sort of a bit of a, an abyss of black. Mm. So we're working in a different way too, although we do our best to still connect with them as much as we can. You haven't got that same feedback loop in the same way. Although yeah. having done Bella Vista, you're probably aware of how an audience responds to the show. Absolutely. And where possible, we we like we go. There is actually an aisle we can use at Lura, which we didn't have at Bella Vista. So we, we, we can connect to them in a different way. I think the audience plays such a big part in outdoor Shakespeare. They are very much part of the show yeah. which in turn changes the show depending on where they are and how they respond mm. and depending on the the performance each night might be different absolutely. depending on the audience absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. one of my i'm dropping this one in but one of my favorite bits of the reblocking in lura has been the bit where the two of you chase each other through the hedges <laughs> <laughs> which we just it just wasn't something that was available to us ability and it's delightful <laughs> Yeah, it's being open yeah. to that space for you. Yeah, and, yeah. The and it's a sight gag. Like it's an, it, the audience loves it, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you come together for a show like this, is there an assumed Shakespeare knowledge before you begin rehearsals? Damien, we've mentioned before, Damien Ryan, the director of this show, is renowned for his skill in unlocking Shakespeare's text. Obviously, part of that is his directorial concept, but it's also carried by you as actors speaking with clarity and strength. When Damien assembles a cast with diverse training and experiences and perhaps different levels of engagement with Shakespeare, is there a process for putting everyone on the same page at the beginning of rehearsals? Absolutely. Damien puts a lot of effort in making sure we are all understanding what's going on, particularly in large ensemble scenes. We have many rehearsals where we're all at some point in the play foresters, so just dwellers of the forest in Arden in the exile, and Damien Ryan plays the Duke 
and he has very lengthy speeches in which the scene revolves around us just responding to. And it's very important that we understand everything he's saying. And he would take time to break it down, ask us questions. We had we could input our thoughts on the text. And he would always take our suggestions and our thoughts. And and it it, it makes the world richer. And everything we do to the two-handers, to the ensemble stuff, we have to make sure we know what we're saying. Yeah, yeah and I think there is an expectation, I think particularly... <sighs> Independent theatres is, is always um, a, a challenging and, and magical and wonderful beast, but there is always a time pressure. I mean, I think that that goes across um, whatever production you're working on, but especially in this sort of context, there's a time pressure. You don't have enough time together in the room, so you, you do need to walk in with at least an understanding of of the words that are coming out of your mouth and the words that are coming out of the mouth of the people that you're mm. interacting with. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, th there's just not time for you to be doing that on the floor. Mm. Um, you know, if, if you have a, a, the luxury of, of a full-time rehearsal period, maybe there's a little bit more flexibility there and you could be making some of those discoveries um, in the moment, but, I think we had to get straight into mm. into the heart of things, um, and so you know we came in with our scripts sort of broken mm. down and um, and just ready to get up on our feet. Mm. I mean, there wasn't a process of sitting at a table; it was just no. and and of course, yeah, there were moments where we'd pause and be like, "Okay, does everyone understand what yeah. is happening here?" Yeah. And we chat about it. And Damien is is wonderful at sort of that process of so. What are you saying when you say this? Yes. And then being able to, you know, let you vocalize and 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 articulate that, and then he'll of course come back with, you know, his um, his input and his incredible knowledge of of not only the Shakespearean text but also, you know, the um, the history and of of the time and the period and the place, yep. and he. he you know that kind of knowledge is is it just enriches yep. everything just yep. that just contextualizing oh when you say that yep. at that time that would have meant this yeah that's know? it's like the history of specific words is something that is incredible uh that that's that's just a, a skill that uh damon's obviously built up over a lifetime of working with this stuff mm -hmm. but uh it, it it's all there essentially at his fingertips if you ask what do i mean when i say this mm -hmm. specific word in this thing he, he's able to tell you the etymology of this word um, you know, going back 400 years. And it's, it's, it, it is that kind of thing that you need to understand that to really unlock the text, uh, you know, whether, whether, whether you have to sit there and do that research yourself or whether you go to somebody who is an expert and ask them what, do, you know, how do I, how do I make sense of this so that I understand what it means um, in my sort of internal vocabulary. Right. But that is, yeah, it's an absolute necessity. I think one of Damien's earliest admonitions to us was we have to get off book as soon as we can, because you have to be able to mold Shakespeare's language like it's clay. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that it suits your purpose. And so that, you know, when you say that to an audience, that the audience will understand it, too, even if they have never heard the word before, never heard the word in that context. And it is entirely possible to do that. Um, with uh, Shakespeare's text, if you have a really clear idea of what it is that you're saying, mm. uh, yeah, I think that was that was certainly you know sort of something we all you know understood from the get go, and I think that's something that any 
body who's you know any any practitioner um of the classical text understands really early on i mean you just have to you have to do it you know you have to do the research in whatever way um works for you but you have to know it uh, and then one of the other things that damien did for us because it's a large cast and scheduling for all of us again for this independent show was was difficult and so in lieu of like sitting down for you know, half a day and working through the vision for the show, uh, we did have the benefit uh, for this one of Damien uh, sitting down there and recording a series of of interviews and slides, so not interviews, uh, presentations and a slide deck. And it was, I think it was total about almost an hour and a half's worth of briefing yeah. material where uh, he set out the, the history of the play, its various interpretations, what it was uh, responding to in terms of the time it was written, uh, what are the thematic concerns of the show, and then the vision for the show, uh, its costumes, design, yeah. costume, everything. So we had the ability to sit down. And this is, I would say, relatively unusual. I've, I've not had this experience. Yeah. Yeah. Which he said he's not done before. It was just a time constraint thing. Yeah. We, and he said this to us that it just so happened that this particular group of cast, we just couldn't get in the room on the same yeah. days. They, I don't think we were all in the room until... Yeah. Pretty, late. Pretty, pretty late. Pretty late. I will just say pretty, pretty late. Yeah. Um, so we had to make some creative decisions on making mm -hmm. sure we're all on the same page yep. through videos, which yep. it's kind of funny in, in, in the COVID world. That is the way <laughs> of communicating thoughts and ideas now. It's all digital. Mm. So it was quite fitting. Mm. And very COVID safe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As I've begun putting together resources for this podcast, um, Let Him Roar Again, I've found myself asking the question, why Shakespeare? Do you think you could answer, try to answer that for yourselves? So why Shakespeare? Why do we bother? Why do we still go back to these texts after all of these times? Why do you think he still deserves a place within our Australian landscape, if you indeed do? Why Shakespeare? <laughs> I don't mean this to sound, sorry, Jane. Please. Uh, I don't mean this to sound facetious, but uh, when sort of when confronted with this question in the current context where people say, well, why Shakespeare? Why do we still keep doing it? I, I always feel like, why not? And I mean that seriously. What is the great reason that we should forget um, this body of work? Right? Why, because we have to ask also, why has it endured uh, for 400 years when many other playwrights and uh and dramatists have not come and gone but to say been relegated to perhaps a relatively more obscure position in our appreciation of the english language artistic and cultural uh, works uh and it it's just it forms such a with good reason it forms such a a, a fundamental part of the history of english language dramatic art uh, and the the range of themes and topics and uh, concerns that Shakespeare's work encompasses uh, they I know this is this is a cliche thing to say but they they continue to be so relevant and so foresighted and so capable of responding to concerns that we have now because he had just that skill of understanding that some truths were going to be immortal as long as the human condition remained apprehensible to us. Right? And I always, I always think it's strange when people talk about, um, talk about 
Shakespeare like there's some sort of zero sum game going on in terms of our, you know in order for us to appreciate one other one aspect of our culture we have to lose an appreciation of of the things that have gone before like there's only so much bandwidth that we can we can process as as members of society I guess um yeah I think no, I, I think that you expressed that really eloquently mm. um I think there's uh it's sort of a two-pronged question isn't it because we sort of think about and talk about the value for artists and the value for audiences. And I think for artists, um, I mean, so much of our programming is a balancing act. Um, yes, we want new Australian voices on stage. That's you know something that personally as an artist, I'm really passionate about. That should not exclude hearing international voices um, and I also don't think that should exclude um, having Shakespeare on our stages. I mean, we have sort of two sort of leading bodies uh, for presenting Shakespeare here in New South Wales, Bell and Sport for Jove. Of course, other companies also present Shakespeare. We also have theatre companies that are entirely dedicated to, or almost entirely dedicated to new voices. That's right. Such as, um, you know, um, Fringe HQ, which um, the vast majority of their works are new voices. Um, so I think sometimes it's a case of audiences needing to look beyond um, maybe some of the main stage companies in order to feel like the, you know, it's, it's, we're not oversaturated with Shakespeare, I don't believe. And I think also a lot of productions of Shakespeare nowadays are adaptations. So they are actually opportunities for writers to um, sort of integrate their own voice with Shakespeare's and create something, you know, that is you know, something old and something new. Mm. And I actually think that that's really beautiful. And, you know, I think it's, it's great that we're getting to a point now where we can cast, um, we can cast women, we can cast non-binary actors, we can cast trans actors, we can cast actors who are, you know, across all spectrums into roles that they previously would not be permitted to play. Yeah. Mm. And that totally explodes and, and opens up the canon and gives us entirely new lenses to view these works from. Mm. I mean, the fact that we have a female Hamlet on right now um, mm. or, or are about to, wonderful Harriet Gordon-Anderson, who, who does the role you know, so beautifully and it's just I mean if you haven't seen I mean I, it's certainly not the first time that a woman mm. has played Hamlet but still I, I think that that's so exciting mm. and the fact that we can we can play with gender mm. we can you know we can have a production of like Queensland Theatre are currently doing a production of Othello um, which is a, a majority Indigenous cast and I think that, yes, we should have that, you know, how interesting to have that versus a cast in which you have one actor of colour in the title role and mm. then surrounded by, um, you know, I think, I think that's really exciting. Mm. And it's an opportunity, I think, to introduce these works to audiences in an entirely new way. Jade and I have spoken about the fact that, um, you know, each time you see a production of a Shakespeare play, if you've seen five As You Like It's, 
they'll all be different. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not yeah. you're not midsummer is a great example. I mean, this yeah. is something yeah. we've, we've chatted about a lot. We love that. Part. I mean, <laughs> we love it because you can see a production of Midsummer that is, you know, stupid funny and it's farcical and it's toilet humor and it's, <laughs> you know, or you can see a production that is really dark and twisted and the characters are tormented and it's and it's really, you know, you can have a lot of social commentary in that kind of exactly. telling of the story. You can, each production might pick a certain theme or mm. idea and completely base it around that idea, whereas another production might, that might be swept under the rug and focus on a completely other element and it will bring a whole new storytelling to it. Um, I was also going to add to that just briefly. I can't even remember what the original question was at this stage, but uh, why Shakespeare? We are so... It's easy to forget that we are so lucky and so privileged to have access to Shakespeare and to these incredibly beautiful works from so long ago. And we have to remember that back then, how hard it was to get these stories told and the kind of, you know, the, they, they performed through the plague. Shakespeare wrote what was like five plays in a year just to keep the theatre running. Um, they fought so hard so we can do it now. I mean, not yeah. that they would have thought that 2022 <laughs> his works would still be performing, but um, here we are and it's easy to forget that. Yeah. Mm, so that richness of material allows you to explore it in different ways, even so many centuries later. Yeah. Totally. Yep. totally. And I think we've got, we've got a long way to go in terms of just breaking what our expectations of Shakespeare are and, and sort of connecting people who might have previously felt like Shakespeare was out of their ballpark. You know, I, I think we've we're at a point now where we can open the doors and make Shakespeare should not be exclusive. It, it should not be, mm. um, no one should ever feel like, oh, that's, you know, that's out of my reach because that's the, that's the role of a good production. A good production yes. will make it within everybody's reach. Yeah. Um, regardless of class, regardless of education, regardless of any of those factors, that is the job of the production. It's to make it accessible and the onus is not on the audience. If you yeah. walk away feeling like, oh, oh, am I, I, I'm not intelligent enough for that. No, the production did not do its job, you know? Yeah. And, and we're starting, I think, to be better at, at, at taking on that responsibility yeah. um, and welcoming all audiences to yeah. our productions. And, and, and I think that's beautiful. And finally, I think, you know, getting that idea of community and, and and back to what it was in Shakespeare's day. Yeah. I mean, Shakespeare was not written for the upper classes. <laughs> and I think you know, the fact that, yes, we don't all have to go and sit in a gorgeous theatre in gorgeous evening gowns and, and engage with this. We can sit outdoors, you can have a beer, mm. you know, or three, and you can have a picnic and just be entertained. Yeah. Um, and that's how how wonderful. Yeah. I think I, I I entirely agree with that. I, I can't remember where I heard the the adage, but every Shakespeare production is somebody's first experience mm. with mm. Shakespeare. There's mm. always someone in every audience who has either never seen Shakespeare before or never sometimes never been to the theatre before, right? And so that helps. I think it's always a responsibility for um, for productions and for performers in those productions to remember that 
Right. It's uh, you know, which is not to say that you can't do a very clever commentary on on some play that is you know, pl- you know playing with its um, uh, playing with a lot of the context and assumed knowledge. But it's always helpful to remember that there's uh, for you know sometimes there will be somebody there who has never heard blank verse. Right. So mm. you know. Yeah, make it accessible. Mm. Yeah, make make sure there's something there for them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. If, if even if they don't understand what you know yeah. every word, of course we're not yeah. all going to have Damien Ryan's knowledge of of the, <laughs> you know yeah. we, we can aspire yeah. to that, but most of us mere yeah. mortals will never reach it. Um, but yeah, it, it's just making sure that you're you're sort of throwing the ball out to them every now and then, and just being like, come on, come with us, come with yeah. us. We're we're here for you. And, and that's the big thing. I think you're right. It's that return to what it was 400 mm. years ago in that it was for the audience and yeah. not for the written text in a classroom in the same way. Thank you to Emma Wright, Jade Feuder and Shanri Tan for joining me today. A reminder that Sport for Job's production of As You Like It is playing at the Lura Everglades until the 23rd of January and tickets are available on the Sport for Job website. Emma, given that Rosalind has the most lines of any of Shakespeare's female characters, it seems fitting to ask you to close this episode with some lines perhaps from the epilogue. Would you do that for us? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. It is not the fashion to see the lady, the epilogue, but it is no more unhandsome than to see the Lord, the prologue. If it be true that good wine needs no bush, tis true that a good play needs no epilogue. Yet to good wine, they do use good bushes and good plays prove the better by the help of good epilogues. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Let Him Roar Again a podcast recorded by Amy Perry amid the tall blue gums of Darug country. Performance of Bottom's Lines from A Midsummer Night's Dream by the phenomenal Simon Ward. Stay up to date by visiting lethimroaragain.com, following on social media or subscribing to the podcast via email. Discussion is an important part of this for me, so I'd love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter at lethimroaragain. Let me play the lion too. I will roar that I will do any man's heart good to hear me. I will roar.